0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. When I was a kid, one of my favorite childhood activities was playing war. Here's what that looked like in our neighborhood. We had a whole bunch of kids in our neighborhood and we would all dress up in camouflage. Whatever we could have talked our parents into going to the army surplus store and buying for us, we'd all paint our faces. We would assemble all the toy weapons that we had. We'd divide up in teams and then the battle would begin. And sometimes it would last all day long around our neighborhood. We would just, all day from daylight to dark, man, we would just be out there engaging in the battle. Some of our neighbors maybe thought we'd lost our minds, but we were out there just engaging as kids in the game of war. And I guess as I've grown up, in some ways I still haven't gotten over that. My favorite, one of my favorite games to play is a game called Risk Any other risk players in the room? Yeah, there's a few other nerds like me here that like to play that game. The game of risk is all about armies and battles and the goal, it says in the instruction manual, is to conquer the world by occupying all the territories on the board. Here's the last line in the instructions. You need to eliminate all your opponents. And I guess that's why none of my family will play that game with me because I like to take that seriously. I love the game of risk but here, here's why I'm saying all that for most of us the reality of fighting in a battle or a war is a lot like my experience it's just make-believe I know that in a crowd like this this morning there are some men and women here who have fought in very real battles and you have fought in very real wars and you've done so defending our freedoms And allowing us the privilege to be able to gather in a place like this openly today and worship Jesus. And for those men and women, we are eternally grateful. Amen? But for the rest of us, for most of us, fighting battles or engaging in combat are reserved for the make believe world of movies. Books and games. If you're visiting with us today, we have, as a family of faith for over a year, been studying verse by verse through the book of Ephesians that's found in the New Testament. It was a letter written by Paul to an early church. and Paul's taught us as we've walked through this journey together a lot of incredible truth about who we are in Christ and how Christ desires to work in and through our lives. But as we begin the last leg on the journey, this weekend we're beginning our last series and we'll bring the book of Ephesians to a close. As Paul gets to the end of this letter, he reminds us that we are in a battle. Whether we know it or not, whether we realize it or not, and even whether we're ready for it or not. We are engaged in a very real battle. It's a spiritual battle. As we begin this last section together, we've entitled this series, Battle Lines. Standing firm in a fallen World. We're going to look at what Paul says about the battle. Before I read what Paul says about it, I have a good friend. He's preached here for us a couple of times named David Platt, who's also an author. Listen to what David Platt said about the battle. There is a spiritual battle presently raging for the souls of billions of men and women around the world. The scope of this spiritual battle is universal. It covers and comprises every tongue, tribe, language, nation, person, and people group. There is no place on earth where this war is not being waged. Hear that. There is no place on earth where this war is not being waged. The stakes in this spiritual battle are eternal. There is a true God. Over this world, who desires all people to experience everlasting joy in heaven. There is a false God in this world who desires all people to experience everlasting suffering in hell. We do not have time to waste. The battle's real. There is an unseen spiritual world, and there is an unseen spiritual battle. It is very real. As a matter of fact, it's even more real in some ways than the visible, physical world we live in. Now, we don't often acknowledge it. We're not often even aware of it. But there's a spiritual war, a spiritual battle taking place that's very real. I got a little reminder of the reality of this battle a couple years ago. It was after a service that we had here at Hope Church. And it was back before we were in four services. When we were in three services, I used to always have time to make my way out to the guest center and try to meet new guests and greet people out there. But with a four-service schedule, it doesn't allow me to do that. But I was out there, and, 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 and a mom and a little boy came up to me at the guest center. They'd just been in our service. They'd listened to the music. They'd worship. They'd listen to me preach. And now they were on their way out, and she brought her son up to me. They'd been coming to Hope for some time, and he was probably 10, 11, 12 years old. And she said, my son has something for you. And he handed me a picture. And it was a picture that he had drawn while I was preaching. And my first thought was, well, he wasn't paying very much attention to me at all. (laughs) But then I looked at the picture. And I'll never forget that image in my mind. I'm not a mystic, and I'm not saying there's a demon behind every bush. But here's what that little boy drew. And his mom said this is what he saw while I was preaching. He drew me. Much more thin than I really am, amen. (laughs) Standing at the pulpit preaching. And behind me was an angel with wings hovering like this. And behind the angel were demons and darkness trying. Now, again, I'm not saying. That that's what he saw. I'm not saying that that's what happens up here every Sunday. Here's what I'm telling you: the Bible says we live in a battle that is a spiritual battle, and although we're sitting in a comfortable air conditioned room with padded seats, you need to know something: we're right now in a foxhole, and the battle is real, whether we want to realize it. Acknowledge it or not. And that's exactly what Paul's writing about. So if you got your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm gonna read a couple of verses here that we're gonna unpack today, and then we're gonna walk through this series for five weekends, and then we'll bring the book of Ephesians to a close. Ephesians chapter 6, we're gonna begin this morning in verse 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're gonna put these up on the screen so you can follow along as I read. Paul says, finally, That's his way of saying, I'm now going to conclude. But like every good preacher, Paul's got a whole lot more to say after he says, I'm closing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle... Is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you're familiar with this passage of Scripture... The next few verses begin to unpack for us the what we call as Christians the armor of God. So we're gonna over the next several weekends unpack all of this, and we're gonna really do it under three big ideas, three things that Paul says and teaches us we need to know in the battle. If we're gonna be engaged in the battle, there are three things you need to know, and Paul unpacks them here in this this letter. Here's the first one: you need to know you have an enemy. You need to know you have an enemy. Number two, you need to know how your enemy works. Every great general, every great military leader understands the strategy of the enemy in order to be able to defend and attack. We got to know how the enemy works. And then number three, this is the good one, you need to know you can experience victory. In the midst of the battle, you need to know that we have victory, and you can experience victory in the midst of the battle. So, five weekends, these are the three big things we're going to unpack. Know you got an enemy, know how he works, and know how you can experience victory. Now, today, we're just going to be right here. We're going to talk about this idea of knowing you have an enemy. And I want to do it by asking and answering one big question. Who is My enemy. Well, Paul names him here. He calls him by name. In verse 11, Paul says, You need to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, I understand even saying that. Some of you have immediately begun to check out. (laughs) Like, Seriously, we're about to talk about the devil? Because a lot of people don't even think he's a real thing. We've discounted the reality of the devil. We've bought into the lie that he's not real. And some people think that talking about a devil is the stuff of myths and legends and fairy tales and movies and fantasy. As a matter of fact, Barna Research Group recently did a survey. It was published. And the survey was of American Christians. Let me emphasize that American Christians. Look what they discovered 60% of American Christians believe Satan is not a living being, but is just a symbol of evil. We're not talking about the average Joe and Mary out in the street. We're talking about people who professed to be followers of Jesus Christ and devoted disciples. 60% of them would say, the devil, yeah, I get but but it's not a real thing. He's just a personification of evil. He is simply a caricature to describe evil in the world, but the devil is not a real person person. One of the things that we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks is that, that, that our enemy has a strategy and chief among his strategy is deception. We need to understand that our enemy is a deceiver. As a matter of fact, it's what Jesus said about him. Now, Jesus believed there was a devil. So that's good company to be in, right? I want to believe what Jesus believes. You say, how do you know Jesus believed there's a devil? Because he told us. Look at it in John 8, verse 44. Listen what he said about the devil. Jesus said about him, speaking to some false religious leaders, Jesus said, you are of your father, the who? The devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a, say it out loud, He's a liar. Jesus said of the devil, he is a liar and the father of all lies. He said everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And one of his chief lies is to convince you that he's not real. Because if you don't think he's real, then you don't have an enemy. And if you don't have an enemy, you don't know there's a battle. And if you don't know there's a battle, you're not going to be ready to stand firm in the battle. So he'd love for you to see him as just a cartoon character that has horns and a red suit and a pitchfork and a tail. Because when we see him that way, we think he's more like Bugs Bunny or Wile E. Coyote than we do a real person. But Paul names him. What I want you to understand this morning is you cannot believe the Bible and not believe the devil is real and is our enemy. Don't don't talk to me with some pseudo-intellectual faith that says, oh, I, I believe the Bible, but you know that stuff about the devil. No, no, no you cannot believe the Bible And not believe the devil's root. You say, why would you say that? Let me tell you why. Satan, the name Satan, is referred to 36 times in the New Testament. The name devil is referred to 34 times in the New Testament. It's referred to in 19 different books in the New Testament. And every author, including Jesus himself, who's recorded in the New Testament, named him as the person who is behind all evil in the world. You can't say, I believe the Bible and not believe what Jesus said to be true and not believe what every writer in the New Testament said was real, and that is that the devil is a real entity. How many of you believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a real person? Let me see your hand. Mary, the mother, that's what I thought, right? How do we know Mary was a real person? She's in the Bible. She's not just in the Bible once or twice. She's in the Bible 20 times. The devil is mentioned 70 times in the New Testament, by name, not as a force, by name as a person. So what I want to do this morning is something a little bit unusual. I'm going to preach to you today about the devil. I'm going to share with you five things that you need to know about the enemy. We got to know him. If we're going to do battle, we got to understand our enemy. we got to know we have an enemy, and we got to know how he works. So five things you need to know about him. Number one, the devil is a fallen angel. That's who he is. He's a fallen angel. He's not a guy in a red suit that sits on your shoulder and whispers bad things in your ear. He's a fallen angel. There's a whole lot we don't know about the Bible. Or, excuse me, a whole lot we don't know about the devil. There's a lot that's mysterious, and we'll never be able to answer the questions. God just didn't give us everything that we need to know about him in Scripture or everything that there is to know about him. We don't have it revealed in Scripture. But there are some things we know for sure, and the bulk of what we know is located in two places in the Scripture, and I'm going to read them to you this morning. First of all, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 28. In Ezekiel chapter 28, the the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying and he gives us some insight into the devil and where he came from. We're going to start reading in verse number 13. Look what it says up here on the screen. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. It's talking about the devil. Now, if you're a student of the Bible and been a Christian for a long time, you know that true. that's true because we read in the book of Genesis where the, Satan was there as a, as a serpent in the garden. You were in Eden, the garden of God. But look what it says. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and jasper, the lapis lazuli, and the turquoise, and the emerald, the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. That tells us, first of all, that the devil's a created being. There was a day when he didn't exist, and then, then God created angels. And the devil was one of those angels. And the scripture tells us here that he was beautiful. He was clothed in every precious stone you can imagine. Then look what it says in verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. Which means the devil... Before his fall was one of the chief angels in heaven. He was probably one of the archangels. He was one of the leaders and rulers among the angels that God had created. He says, "And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire." So what does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds awesome. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Listen to this. Therefore, I, God, have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. The scripture teaches us that the devil was one of the angels of God, one of the choice angels of God, who chose to sin against God and was cast out of heaven. You say, what was his sin? Well, the prophet Isaiah tells us. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse number 12. Listen to what the Bible says. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, here was his sin, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. Above the stars of God, I will sit. You're hearing a pattern here? I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Listen to this. I will make myself like the most high. That angel said, I'll be God myself. And God banished him from heaven. Now, that ought to tell us something right up front that I want to put up here on the screen that's very important. Satan is not an equal foe to God. He's a fallen angel. So listen, before you listen to the rest of what I'm going to say and get all weirded out, just know he is not. Some people start talking about this like God's on one side and Satan's on the other side. and Man, they're doing battle with one another and they got their angels and their demons and we're just holding our breath hoping we know how this thing's going to turn out in the end because they're fighting and we just don't know how it's going to end. Listen, I want you to understand something. There is one God and that God is sitting on the throne of the universe. And everything else that exists in this universe has been created by God and is under the dominion and the sovereignty of that God. There is one God on the throne, and his kingship is not up for debate. God is in a category all by himself. He has no equals. Satan is a fallen angel. Second thing we need to know, the devil's organized. He's organized the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 we don't have time to read it you can read it later Revelation chapter 12 that when God banished him out of heaven that he took with him one-third of all the angels he was already a leader he was a ruler he took with him a third of the angels that had sin in their heart you say when did that happen well We don't know. It just happened somewhere between the six days of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Somewhere in Genesis chapter 2, this scene that we read about in Isaiah and Ezekiel took place, Satan's cast out of heaven, and a third of all the angels go with him, and those angels are now what we would refer to as demons. A demon is simply an angel created by God who were originally good but they sinned against God and now they continue to work evil in the world you say how many demons are there we don't know you say how many angels are there we don't know here's the only thing we know in the Bible in the Old and New Testament the only number given for how many angels there are is the word myriads you say how many is a myriad well both in Hebrew and Greek it means innumerable it means too many to count. It means we don't know for sure. Millions, millions, billions, trillions. We don't know. But however many angels there were, millions, billions, trillions, one-third of them are now demons under the command of the devil on the earth. Now listen, <laughs> I know some of this sounds like... We're crazy, right? I understand that. I know some of this stuff sounds like we're talking about some kind of Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. We're, We're talking about some weird stuff here. But listen, listen, that's part of the plan of the enemy to make us think this stuff's crazy. Because if you think it's crazy, if you think it's not real, you say, where do you know? How do you know they're organized? Go back to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 12. Look what Paul says. Paul says... For our struggles, not against flesh and blood. The battle's not human beings. The battle's not other people. Here's what he said the battle, he said, is against rulers, against powers, against the world forces, against the spiritual forces. Those four distinctions are literally a description of the organizational rank of demonic forces. You see, I don't know. John MacArthur. Listen to what John MacArthur said about this verse of scripture. Rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness describe the different strata and rankings of those demons and the evil supernatural empire in which they operate. Satan's forces of darkness are highly organized and structured for the most destructive warfare possible they are a they are a great and ancient multitude and constitute a formidable and highly experienced supernatural enemy now we said a minute ago the devil's just a fallen angel he's a created being here's what that means the devil's not omnipresent nor is he omniscient god's omnipresent what does that mean he can be everywhere all the time god is also omniscient that means he knows everything all the time satan the devil is neither of those things He's not any of that. He's just a created angel. Means this, he can't be everywhere at once. Here's what that means. There's probably not anybody in this room, myself included, that's high enough on the spiritual radar to ever even encounter the devil. He can't be everywhere at once. Well, the devil may be doing no, all this, and you've probably never encountered the devil. None of us are spiritually enough of a big deal for him to single us out. But he does have these ranks of demons. And they're organized. And we're going to talk about this next weekend. They learn our weaknesses by observation. You ever wondered why in your area of weakness, it seems like there's always an opportunity to be tempted? ever wondered that why don't I have that guy's too I don't even struggle with that give me his temptation why is the temptation always targeted to my weakness let me tell you why they observe you and they know your weaknesses and they set the traps they are highly organized Paul calls it schemes We're going to talk about it next weekend. It's the word for method or strategy. The devil's a fallen angel. The devil's organized. Number three, the devil is 100% against us. 100%. The only name used in the Bible more than the devil is the name Satan. The name Satan is used both in the Old Testament Hebrew language and the New Testament, the Greek language. The word Satan literally means enemy. In Hebrew and in Greek, it means adversary. It means opponent. It means against you. That's why when Peter wrote about him in 1 Peter, listen to what 1 Peter said. He said, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. You're what? Say it out loud. Adversary. The the who? The devil. The adversary. That word adversary that's used here is a Greek word. that The root of it is the word against or anti, meaning that the devil is someone who is constantly antagonistic towards us. The devil, our enemy, hates us and is 100% against us. I'm going to say it again. The enemy hates you, and the enemy is 100% against you. Why is that important? It ought to change the way you see temptation. You need to understand that every temptation, oh, that thing that looks so good, right? It looks like it's going to meet my need. It looks like it's going to satisfy me. It looks like it's going to make me happy. It looks like it's going to bring me joy. It looks like that's the answer to all of my problems. You need to understand that the one who set that on the T hates you. And he's put that there because he's against you. He's not for you. The promise of temporary happiness is not because he likes you. He hates you. Number four, the devil is seeking to destroy us. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Look at it. Peter says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This word, devour, watch the Discovery Channel? You know who you never want to be on the Discovery Channel? You never want to be the gazelle. There's never, ever, ever been a show on the Discovery Channel just about gazelles. If the gazelle makes it into the show, it's bad news for the gazelle. You've never heard gazelle week. <laughs> right? You know what it's like when you watch that lion crawling through the grass. I started to show you a video of it this morning, but it's so graphic I didn't. Because when the lion gets to the prey, he doesn't take out a napkin and with a fork and knife. (laughs) No, it's what? It's violent. With his teeth, limb from limb, he begins to rip the flesh of his prey apart. That's what that word means in the Greek language. It's a word that was used to describe a wild animal that had captured its prey. When you see that temptation, here's what you need to know. The one who said it there hates you, and he longs to rip you limb from limb. Here's what that temptation is. It's a lie. To lie. John, the gospel writer, wrote it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The word steal means to take without you knowing it. The word kill here is literally the word in the Greek language for butcher or slaughter. Slaughter. The word destroy, it's actually more than destroy. It's, it's a word that has a prefix on it that makes it total devastation. A.T. Robertson said, The devil's purpose is the ruin of human beings. Now, listen, understand me. For the Christian, listen, if you're a child of God, the devil cannot destroy your soul. Your soul has been washed in the blood of Jesus. You are secure. Your eternity in heaven is settled. He can do nothing to your soul. But listen, he can destroy your testimony. And he can destroy your life. And he can destroy your marriage. And he can destroy your influence. And he can steal away God's best. And he can rob away our opportunity to be used for the glory and honor of God. And you need to know that he's a fallen angel that's very real. And he's organized. And he's watching. And he's learning. And he's observing. And he's setting traps because he hates you. And he wants to destroy you. Can I close with... A little bit of good news. I know that this cup of encouragement you've received this morning has blessed you. But listen, listen. If I don't tell you this stuff, I don't love you. There's a lot of people who, man, as long as we talk about the how-tos of how to have a happy life and how to have a better home and how to have more money in the bank and how to—all the stuff God's Word does teach us some principles about. We'll lean in when we get to this. We're like, ah, "Listen, listen, this is real stuff. We're in a battle." But but let me give you the the fifth and final thing, and this this there's the good news. You ready? The devil is already defeated. <laughs> He's already defeated. Listen. Listen what Peter said. He prowls around. Don't miss this word. Like a roaring lion. But there's only one real lion in the Word of God. And that lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil may prowl around like a roaring lion, but there's only one real lion, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he once and for all defeated the devil 2,000 years ago. The defining battle in the war took place. God himself took on human flesh and became a man. Jesus Christ, God, came into this world. And the devil threw everything he had at him, including the kitchen sink. He threw it all. He threw temptation for 33 years. Betrayal, abuse, mockery, persecution, denial, and even death. Jesus died on the cross because of the sin of the world that has been introduced through our enemy. And when Jesus died, all hell celebrated. When he died, the devil and the angels began to rejoice because they said, we've finally done what they told us was impossible. God is dead. But on Sunday morning, the ground began to shake. And the stone began to be rolled away and the one who was dead came walking out of that grave. He defeated death, hell and the grave. And listen, he is alive. He's alive. It's why the book of Genesis said about him, you will bruise him on the heel, but he will crush your head. He has been defeated. You say, how can you be sure? Oh, I've already read the end of the story. Look in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says, and the devil, the liar, the deceiver, the murderer, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, here's an important truth. As followers of Jesus, look at this. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Oh, let me tell you why that's important. Listen, listen. If you know me, you know how much I love to watch sports. I love sports. Man, I, I'm pa- Some of y'all hear me preaching. you think, man, you're loud. No, I'm just like that all the time, okay? It's not just preaching. But I'm really like that when I'm watching sports. This is my favorite time of year. We got Major League Baseball playoffs about to start. We got college football in the heat of a season. And this week, the Golden Knights drop the puck and hockey starts all over. This is such a great time of year. If you're looking for me on Saturdays, you're not going to find me on Saturdays. I'm usually in front of a television. And I'm watching Alabama play football on Saturday afternoons. And listen, if you've ever been with me and watched me watch an Alabama football game, it is an intensely emotional experience. There are moments when I'm on my knees in my living room. There are moments when I'm holding on to a piece of furniture. There are moments when we're jumping up and down and high five. It's an emotional roller coaster because we don't know who's going to win. Let me tell you something. I do this kind of weird. Once we win, I record all the games. And I go back and watch them again. (laughs) I like to watch them to look for other stuff. Strategy, who played here, who was doing what, within the right position. But when I watch it the second time, there's no emotion. You know why? Because I already know who won. (laughs) I don't have to freak out. Christian, listen to me. We already know who won. So hear me, hear me. Stop freaking out. Be still and know He is God. I don't know where the battle is for you today. Maybe the battle's in your marriage. Maybe it's with a child. Maybe the battle is at your job. Maybe it's your income. Maybe it's your health. But hear this, that's not the real battle. The battle's not flesh and blood. The enemy may try to use some of those things as tactics and strategies. But that's not the real battle. The battle's spiritual. And listen to me. We've already won. Stop freaking out. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as only you can in these moments, You would speak to us in convicting, transforming power. As you sit today quietly before the Lord, just a moment, we're gonna have a time where we stand, we sing, we worship our victorious King, our God who's on the throne. But before we do, I want to talk to two groups of people. Number one, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, listen, I totally understand. I totally understand how some of this stuff seems weird and strange. And I get it, man. uh, Listen, I believe it and have been believing it for 28 years, and it's still sometimes weird and strange to me to even think about. It just is. Listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to know something. The devil hates you too. And He can destroy your soul. You see, the only way to avoid the trap of the enemy ultimately is to surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus is the victory. Not me, not you, not a church. Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this Jesus that came into the world, died for your sin and my sin, rose again from the dead. If you don't know Jesus, when we stand in a moment and begin to sing... We have pastors all along the front. You can come to one of these pastors today and say, I need Jesus. Listen, and today you can find the victory. It can be yours in Christ. Victory for all eternity. So when we stand to sing, if you don't know Jesus, you just come to one of these pastors, say, I need Jesus. Secondly, if you're here today and you're already a Christian, you're in the battle, maybe for the first time today you've been encouraged to know, hey. I'm going going to win. We've already won. It doesn't change the fact that you're still in the throes of the battle. Listen, these altars are going to be open. These pastors are going to be here. If you're you're fighting the battle in your marriage, your home, your children, your job, your finances, your health, you come to any one of our pastors today. They'll pray with you. They'll pray for you. You can come get in one of these altars today. We have volunteers that will come and just pray over you, prayer warriors that will pray over you. The altars are open. Our pastors are here. One of the weapons that Paul talks about later on in this chapter is the weapon of prayer. We can engage in the battle. We can call on the strength and the power and the victory of God in prayer. Lord, we come before you today. We humble ourselves and we acknowledge who you are. And we ask you today to move in power. Lord, for the lost that need to be saved, would they come and find victory in Jesus. For the saved... That need to have the, to experience victory in the battle, when they come and pray and cry out and experience the victory, the strength of the Lord in their lives so today? Lord, have your way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.